Good morning, church. So the worship was wonderful today, and just want to mention something before I read the scriptures because my uncle, who's my pastor in Brazil, once told me that when we worship God in the beginning of service, God softens our heart and He breaks our heart, letting it ready for the Word. So when we have the Word like a seed that gets into our heart, so we can bear fruit. So today I was just feeling the presence of God as I was worshiping, and some days I can sense it more, and it was just wonderful, and that's what I pray, and I encourage you to pray every day that you worship. God, break my heart. Make it ready for the Word, because I want to know more of you. So the Word of God in, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 14 says, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God. And he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who's even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep, that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored, just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Pray for uh, Pastor Norb. He gets to come onto the pitching mound this morning, and we're glad he is. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Is this water from last week, or is it for me? Oh, excellent. <laughs> I was worried about that for a second. It's always great to welcome new people to TCC, and it's always hard also to say farewell to people that have made TCC home for any length of time. And... This is Dave and C.K. Trent's last Sunday with us. And uh, C.K., you may know if you serve in the brunch ministry, she's helped with the uh, scheduling there. She's faithfully showed up every Monday morning and restocked uh, shelves and got us all organized in the kitchen and the pantry and um, has done so much. And we're so grateful for that, grateful to know you as people and uh, our blessing on you as you return back to the States where they came from. They've lived in various countries due to work 
And, uh, and as one contract ends and as they seek for new direction and new work, um, they do need to return uh, back to, uh, to the states. And I know many of you can identify uh, with them as, as well. That's right. You know, when, uh, when you see this title here, Unstuck from Our Craziness, um, <clears throat> I hope you know that I'm not talking about our mental states, uh, but rather our schedules. I mean, craziness as in crazy busy or madness. Uh, now, granted, crazy schedules can sometimes result in us kind of losing it or going crazy, uh, but that is the potential end result of not addressing our overloaded and overwhelmed lives. And this seems to be a particular problem in our Western culture. There's always more to do and not enough time to do it. I mean, when someone asks you, how are you? You know, it is very rare to hear a person say, well, well, well you know, I'm great, thanks, but for starters, I'm not very busy. That might be true for a particular four or five-year-old um, who doesn't really have anything to do. Uh, or maybe a senior in a nursing home who would actually welcome a visit to break up the monotony of the day. Uh, but for most people, uh, when you ask, how are you, the word busy is often used to define how we are. And so for many, if not most, this seems to be this pervasive sense of being filled up and stressed out. At least that's how it feels to me. Maybe I'm the only one and I've completely misread the culture we live in. For me, busy seems to have been a lifelong reality. Uh, from my earliest days that I remember as a, as a young kid, it was always out being with my friends, playing, running here, going here, doing this, to playing every sport imaginable in junior high and high school, and playing, including at one point playing on three soccer teams at the same time, my school, my club, and my church. And university had its own unique pressures. I remember how during those days I might be caught watching uh, an Oilers game. And my mom would just so out of concern for me say, don't you have something to study? And I would say, Mom, there's always something to study. I'm just taking a mental break. At least in those days it was a mental break. Um, in seminary I had a full course load. I served part-time as a youth pastor as well not to mention also at that time playing basketball, volleyball, and soccer. And then ministry, full-time, first as an associate pastor working primarily with youth, and then as a senior pastor. And, you know, I always think back to my early days of ministry. It was even before, if you can believe this, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these other things. It, was, it wasn't really until the late 90s that I was introduced to this thing called the Internet and emails. Oh, Emails and smartphones and texts and, and everything just seems to keep coming at you, right? Tracking you down, finding you wherever you are like a predator after its prey. I do think it is safe to say that for the most part we do live in a culture that is busy. We have work, we have family, we have exercise, we have bills, we have church, we have school, we have school plays, we have school teams, we have sports teams, and we have friends, we have a, 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 a whole barrage of other requests, demands, and desires that jockey and vie for our time. And never mind our own addiction for information and connecting socially. And as a result, we live these 
frazzled and overwhelmed and stressed out lives. And the result of living at this pace has physical, emotional, and spiritual consequences. Body, mind, and soul are at risk. And it seems lately that everything I'm drawn to read has to do with the soul. Books like Mark Buchanan's Spiritual Rhythm, Being with Jesus Every Season of Your Soul. Pastor Ken gave that to me for Christmas, uh, two Christmases ago. And then this last Christmas was another one. Maybe he's seen something in my life that needs addressing. John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, subtitled Caring for the Most Important Part of You. And I would highly recommend both of those books. Most recently, I picked up Ruth Haley Barton's Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, which I actually haven't had time to read, but it is on my to-read pile. Yes, I have a to-read pile. One book I did read several years ago is Mark Buchanan's The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. And it's now again on my to read again pile and another book that I would recommend if this is a subject that you're interested in exploring. But you see the common thread even in these books? Our lives are increasingly characterized by, you know, here, there, and everywhere. And we become distracted and preoccupied and we can't focus, it seems, on, on anything for any long period of time. We no longer look at life as, as to how we can serve, serve others, but rather how we can just simply survive. And, and as that most important part of us, our souls, it starts to shrivel up and then the alarm bells go off and we realize that we can't sustain the hurried and frenzied pace of life without some intervention. And I think that is why we've seen a, a rise and in increase in the number of books alone on this subject, because it's so important. And at the risk of belaboring this point, how things are complex and crazy, consider this. In 1967, futurists predicted that by 1985, the average work week would be just 22 hours. Yeah, we can blow that one away, right? The an, in fact, the annual number of hours worked in 1967 was 1,716. And in 2000, the number rose to 1,878 hours annually. And in spite of technology, or perhaps maybe even because of technology, our lives today are more complex and we have greater opportunities than ever before. For example, have you ever shopped for toothpaste lately? I did this just on Friday night, and I'm standing in front of this bewildering amount of toothpaste. It just seems to me that, you know, it used to be like Crest and Colgate. That was it. Now there's 32 different varieties of Crest alone, and probably another 22 of Colgate, and then any other number of brands. And you sit there, and you're just kind of mesmerized and thinking, oh, I, I don't know. What do I need? Have you ever gone down the cereal aisle? I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, I'll admit it. I, I don't do the grocery shopping in our family. Tina takes care of that. But I do know some of the local Safeways pretty well. The Riverbend one, I get my medications there. And, and, and I'm getting to know the Windermere one pretty well. But, you know, I know that I can go in and go to the deli or go to the bakery or go to the dairy and get out. That's just the way, way it is. Well, on Friday, Tina had left for the ladies' weekend. 
And apparently it was like Friday frenzy for air miles. Do any of you collect air miles? You know what I'm talking about? Like all these special deals. So she makes a list and sends me to the grocery store. Big mistake. Because I'm going through her list somewhat orderly, and I'm like just zigzagging back around the store. I'm sure they thought, is this guy lost in here or what? Finally, I'm texting her, where's the hummus? I mean, I had no clue. It's crazy. But here's the simple truth. Because we can do so much, we do so much. Right? We have no limits. We eat what we want. We buy what we want. We say yes to what we want. And when you think of the opportunities for our children... I mean, we didn't have some of those things when we were young. Sure, we had the regular sports, but I don't remember anyone in my class doing like Taekwondo or, you know, belly dancing lessons or whatever it was. I, I mean, I don't know what all the kids are. Like it's, but it is a lot, right? There's all these demands coming. And I get this even from our daughter who, who, who plays all sorts of sports. And, and then she's, oh, can I, can, I, can I play badminton? I'm like, badminton? Isn't that like something you play at a picnic? Like really, you're going to play school badminton? And it goes on and on and on, the activities that our kids have. But what happens is, when we are crazy busy, we put our souls at risk. And that is something that we cannot afford to let happen. We can't let our spiritual lives slip away. Another good book on this subject is by Kevin DeYoung called Not Surprisingly Crazy Busy. And in it, he outlines three dangers and then gives seven diagnoses to this frenzied lives that we live with. And if this resonates with you, I would uh, highly encourage you to read that book as well. I've just filled up your next six months of reading, I know. But the chapter about pride fueling most of my busyness kind of bothered me, um, but the rest of it was actually really good. But here's three dangers that he outlines, and I want to share them with you because I think they're really important for us to just capture what the issue is. And the first is this, is that busyness can ruin our joy. Busyness can ruin our joy. And in it he says that a study found that commuters experience greater levels of stress than fighter pilots and riot police. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm thinking that they did a study and found that. And I'm grateful that I've got like a kilometer and a half commute to work to the office here. And when I go out sort of on the streets, I feel this stress. And some of you who, who do commute, and in Edmonton, really, when it comes down to it, we have it nothing compared to summer. I talked to a guy this week who used to live in the Toronto area, outside of Toronto, left the house at 6 o'clock in the morning and arrived at work at quarter to 8 Worked till five or six and then commuted home. It's crazy. But busyness can ruin our joy. Secondly, it says, busyness can rob our hearts. Can rob our hearts. And the parable of the sower and the seed, and you'll, you'll find that parable, so I think there's, there's good reason for it to, to, to be reminded of. Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke chapter 8. It, the, the parable of the sower talks about the seeds, and in particular I want to focus on the seed that fell among the thorns. And in verse uh, 22 of chapter Matthew 13, it says this, The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message. Okay, so they've heard it, they've got the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out 
by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. They never grow into maturity. In other words, they're stuck. They're stuck at a place spiritually and not able to go beyond that. And so this phrase, the, the cares of this life, or the worries of this life, some translations use, or the cares of the world, what are they? Have you thought about this? How about this? Car repairs and insurance claims and new car purchases, dryers that die, taxes that haven't been filed, kids that need to see a doctor. You need to see a doctor. The checking account isn't reconciled. There's lawn to cut, landscaping to add, cars to wash, canvassing for Canadian diabetes, and that was just my life in the last month. Just always coming at you. And anything new, if you discover this, requires time, figuring out how to use it. Anna was actually, this week, was given an older iPhone to replace her even older iPhone. And, you know, it should be simple to switch it over, right? Just go to, this, go to the, the, the Rogers store and say, you know, can I just want to switch this SIM card for that SIM card and go through this whole routine and find out, well, no, it's locked to Bell. And so you walk over to the Bell store and you go over there and say, well, well you have to call the corporate office to get it unlocked. And, or the guy outside the booth can, out there can unlock it. And you ask him, he says, well, that'll cost 100 to $200. And I knew it was only supposed to be $50. So I go home and I get Bell on the phone. They say, well, you need Apple to do this because we have no record of that IME number. And, it, and this whole thing was taking time. And at one point, I kid you not, I've got my home phone, which I'm connected to the Apple Care guy now, and my cell phone connected to the Bell guy, and I'm talking back and forth, and then I'm wedging this phone in here and getting information off Tina Anna's phone. And I'm thinking, this must look hilarious. But an entire evening spent to try to get my daughter's phone set up. You have similar stories. And it's busyness that can just choke out our spiritual lives. In fact, the Chinese character for busy is made up of the pictographs for heart and death. The implication being that busyness kills the heart. Robs the heart. Thirdly, danger is this. Busyness can cover up the rot in our souls. You see, the hectic pace of life can make us physically and spiritually sick. Because if I'm busy with so many things, what is it that I'm ignoring? Now, you're wondering, what is with the depressing introduction? But I share this intentionally with you because of this. I want us to really grasp the trouble that we're in. I want us to consider the devastating consequences of living in craziness, of being stuck in that rut. I want us to realize the long-term implications on our souls. And maybe you totally got this under control, you've got this figured out, you don't have the slightest clue what I'm talking about, and life is grand and your soul is in a good place, and that is a good thing. But maybe... Maybe you actually find yourself fantasizing about escaping to a tropical island free from all of the responsibilities where you can live in perpetual rest. Because I think the reality is that too many of us live stuck in this rut of craziness and we're enslaved and chained by a pace of life that ultimately steals our joy, kills our passion, and then destroys our souls. 
But I have good news for you today. Great news, in fact. Because God, in his grace and wisdom, calls us to honor his design for us by living in sync with the gift of Sabbath rest. Friends, make no mistake about it. It is a gift where we build into the rhythm of our lives one day in seven, where we pause from all of our ambitions and activities and we intentionally create space to experience Christ. Let's consider this fourth commandment for a moment this morning. The Ten Commandments are first found in Exodus chapter 20, if you're taking notes and you want to read, read through this later. Then they're restated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and that was the passage that Catherine and Gustavo read for us. And the fourth commandment is simply this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does that mean? Well, let's just break it down a little bit. So the, the part remember to observe means really to keep it in mind. So remember the Sabbath in the same way that you would remember someone's birthday. You would prepare for it. So, so part of remembering the Sabbath means that each week we should prepare and plan for what we will do and also what we won't do. We have to be intentional about it. We have to make a plan. And the Hebrew word for Sabbath means literally to cease, to desist, or rest. And so the Sabbath is a day of stopping and resting. And resting on the seventh day finds its roots in creation. God himself rested on the seventh day. He rested not because he was tired and worn out, but because creation was finished. It was completed. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. On the Sabbath day, God finished his work of creation. So he rested or ceased from all his work. And God blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And so God graciously invites us to stop. Actually, he commands it. Remembering the Sabbath then requires surrender on our part. If we only stop when we're finished, right, our work or our emails or our projects, we'll never stop because our work is never completely done. And the commandment finishes with the phrase, by keeping it holy. That simply means that we set it apart from all the others. It is a special day and that is not only different from all the others, where work in reality, it is an important part of our lives, right? It's not something we can do without. But this seventh day is then set apart to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 5, the verses that were read for us, verses 13 and 14, this is how it's put. It says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. That's the stuff that you ordinarily have to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And I emphasize that too because the fact is that the fourth commandment is about one day in seven being set apart uh, from the other six days as a, as a special day. But it is a day dedicated to physical and spiritual and renewal by an intentional and deliberate awareness and focus on the presence of God in everything that we do. So how do we do that? How do we apply then this fourth commandment? And I want to say, first of all, that I really think that we have to come to a conviction about it. 
you know, we live in a generation where um, we don't maybe have the same kind of sort of rules, and I would maybe even say even sort of a legalistic approach to the Sabbath day. We want to be really careful. I'll say more about that later. But, but we've probably also swung the pendulum a little bit maybe too far the other way and then just said, you know, everything goes. And I think we have to return back to this having a conviction about what does it mean to honor and to remember the Sabbath day. Because we don't simply want to do it because it has practical benefits. The reality is, is that human beings need rest, right? So we, we all go to sleep with little regard for our need for it. We just know that it's good for us and, and we do it. But, but we cannot go on indefinitely without resting. And so the Sabbath of taking one day in seven and resting, it is practical in that way. But we can't simply be motivated to rest one day in seven because it's good for us. We have to come to a conviction that it is also right. Eugene Peterson, professor, pastor, scholar, theologian, uh, you name it, kind of, he, he did it, but probably best known for his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He observes that nothing less than the force of a commandment has the power to make us stop. Think about that. Nothing less than the force of a commandment has the power to make us stop. I mean, this isn't just good advice. We shouldn't just remember the Sabbath because it is good for us and we recognize the practical benefits, but we should remember it because it's right. You see, having a conviction, what does that mean? It is about internalizing God's instructions and then trusting that His way is best. This is His plan. This is how we laid it out. This is how you should live. And so when we have a conviction, we internalize that, and that's then how we actually live. So it means coming to conviction that this is what God says. I will actually do what he says because it's right. One of my favorite movies of all time is Chariots of Fire. You guys remember that? How many of you have seen that movie? I'm just, I'm really kind of curious. Quite a few of you, but the rest of you, you have no clue what you're missing. It is a great movie. In fact, we're going to watch a clip in, in just a, a second here. Um, because it's good. But Chariots of Fire was the winner of the Academy Award for the Best Picture in 1981. And it's based on the true story of Eric Little, an Olympic track and field athlete who represented Great Britain at the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. He was a devoted follower of Jesus. He was a missionary to China. And he honored the Sabbath by refusing to run in a qualifying heat scheduled on a Sunday. Because at that time, that was the understanding that there's no, of none of these kind of activities, even though they had heats and everything. But most people, if you're a Christian, you just did not do that kind of activity on a Sunday. And by refusing to run, he actually forfeited his chance to win a gold medal in his event, the 100 meters, which he was the hands-on favorite to, to win. Why? Because he had come to a conviction that was how he would live out this commandment, and he stuck to it. And so in the end, he, he doesn't run in the 100 meter, but another athlete who has already won a medal offers to give up his spot for the 400 meter, which wasn't really kind of his preferred thing. 
Um, but this is a clip. Are you, are you ready to, to show this? Are we? Okay. This is the beginning of the 400-meter uh, race. No problem. He's a flyer. He's had two races today already. He'll die. Just swing along, you guys, and wait. After 300 meters, rigor mortis sets in. You'll pull him in on a rope. Good luck, Taylor. Watch out for a little. Coach says no problem. He's got something to prove, something personal. Something guys like Coach will never understand in a million years. says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Shores. power come from to see the race to its end from within God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. there it goes on and celebrating with heroes welcome when he comes home did you catch that line though I believe God made me for a purpose but he also made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure and there's so many more good quotes all the way through that but you know he had peace with his decision not to run in the hundred meter because it wasn't his life wasn't defined by winning a gold medal but by the fact that he was beloved by God. And he understood 
his place and his identity. So we have to come to conviction about this. Secondly, understand what we can do. Understand what we can do. We just have to say, okay, well, so rest, stop, I get that, but what can we do? Okay, so observing the Sabbath day is setting it apart, but it's also a day, as I said earlier, it's set too. So a day of rest doesn't necessarily mean a day of inactivity or of doing nothing. This day offers an opportunity to renew by directing the day to God. And the idea is that we might spend the day enjoying God. It's like God is asking us for some extended time together. So a great place to start is right here in a worship service like this. I mean, most people don't have to work on Sundays, and if you do, you need to find another day to be able to set it aside for, for stopping and for resting. But, but it's about enjoying God's presence. And we truly experience the Sabbath when we orientate our lives, not around ourselves, but around Jesus and listen and respond to his invitation when he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's his invitation to us. When we're weary and burdened and burned out, spend time with him. And it is in worship that we turn to God and we're reminded that the core truth of our identity is not what we do and what we have or what others think of us, but the simple fact that we are loved by God. And honoring the Sabbath will give us an opportunity to grow in our trust of God and experience his faithfulness time and time and time again. But apart from worship, then what do we do with the rest of the day? What do we do and what can we enjoy on the Sabbath? Remember that all work then was forbidden and any activities that resemble your work. So you want to do things that are different from what you have to do the other six days. Okay? So don't do the same things as your work. But Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, outlines the golden rule of observe, observing the Sabbath. And I really think he's onto something here. He says... Ceasing from what is necessary to embrace what gives life. I love that. Ceasing from what is necessary to embrace what gives life. And he goes on to write this. Sabbath is a reprieve from doing what you ought to do, even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done. Oughts are tyrants, noisy and surly, chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the day you trade places with them. They go into the salt mine, and you go out dancing. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things your existence genuinely depends on and is often hobbled beneath so that you can turn to whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time, lack of room, lack of breath. Then he says this, You get to shuck the have-tos and lay hold of the get-tos. Get rid of the have-tos and lay hold of the get-tos. I mean, there obviously will be times when you have to do what is necessary on the Sabbath. I don't know why on a beautiful day like this, shoveling snow comes to mind, but maybe this past winter there was on more than one occasion where I left we had a, for church in the morning, there was a huge snowfall, and I knew that I would have to get out and shovel the snow, and you work and you sweat, and I don't do snow for a living, so it was perfectly fine. But... But, you know, there are things that we have to do. 
And some of you have jobs like that. You're in the medical profession, you're nurses or you're doctors, and you have to do that work. It doesn't say that we can't do those things. But as a general rule, we choose to ignore the oughts and instead focus on what brings life. You see, God's design wasn't to punish little kids with naps on Sundays or to drive us to boredom by inactivity. So let me just outline some questions that you can ask that I, that I think will give you a framework for saying, well, can I do that? Yes, you can, if it follows some of these. So first of all, I already referred to, what do you get to instead of have to do? What do you just get to do instead of the things that you're forced to do out of obligation? Secondly, what is life giving for you? What, what just restores your soul that you just go, man, that was a great way to spend a day. Maybe it means going for a walk or a bike ride or reading. Maybe it's having friends over and feasting and family. And maybe you just want to spend all afternoon just creating food and then enjoying it with friends. If that is life giving for you, I think God honors that. You can also ask simply, what is good? What is good? Matthew 12, 12 says the law permitted what is good. And I think you look at ways of how can I serve others? What does it mean for me to, to do good? And lastly, how can I experience God in this activity? Right? When you're out for a walk, enjoy creation and, and acknowledge that God is a good God and he created all of these things for us to enjoy. But acknowledge the presence of God in all of that. And so... How do we apply it? We have to come to a conviction about it, how we're going to use it. We have to understand what we can do. And thirdly, I want to just say this. Don't become legalistic about it. Because this is the first thing that will rob our joy. And, and, and then it becomes a burden. It no longer is a delight, but a duty. And you add all the don'ts to it. But just think through, what is life giving? How can I honor God in these activities? As one writer says, Sabbath is a gift an island of get-to in a sea of have-to. And if it's a gift, enjoy it. Mark Twain said this, Our busyness is like the weather. Everyone complains about it, but no one does anything about it. So can I just encourage you today? Do something about it. Do something about it. Because rest is good for our souls, and it unsticks us from the craziness of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it is. We thank you for how life-giving these verses are. Because, Lord, we can just be on this frantic treadmill of activity where we disregard you. We don't take time for the things that are important to us. And so, Lord, I thank you for my friends here this morning. I pray that this would be just a great way to start this Sabbath day of rest where we're not thinking about all the things that we ought to do, but the things that we get to do. And may we honor you in how we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.